Hello, I am Jeremy Kingsbury. This is Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, the show where you come along with me as I explore the likely repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Let's listen to some tunes. happy to be in my office again and uh, having played a bunch of tunes. Uh, yeah, so at first I thought this episode was just going to be sort of all the tunes that I played when I was up in Grand Portage, uh, and that's sort of what it's going to be, but really this just turned into a deep dive of um, the march from Oscar and Melvina, or the Highland March from Oscar and Melvina in O'Farrell's book, or Leslie's March, um, as it's also known, or Blue Bonnets Over the Border, as it's also known. So we're going to play a bunch of different versions of that tune and talk about it a bit, and also going to play just some other tunes that I found while looking for other versions of it and just some things that it got me thinking of. All right, so the list of tunes that we do wind up playing on the episode, we're going to begin with a song from Johnson and Joseph Wrightson and also the lyrics from Alan Ramsey called General Leslie's March to Longmiston Moor. Then from Wright's Country Dances, we're going to hear Lashley's March. Then from James Aird, we'll hear Leslie's March. From James Oswald, we'll hear Lasley's March. From O'Farrell, we'll hear the Highland March from Oscar Malvina. From Edward Bunting, we'll hear Dirty James. From Canon James Goodman, we'll hear Unnamed, although it is the, the tune is called Shitty James Who Lost Ireland. Uh, from J.N.R. Glenn, we'll hear Leslie's March. From William Ross, we'll hear All the Blue Bonnets Over the Border. From McFadden, which is again that last aired edition, we'll hear lads of the kilts from logan we'll hear all the blue bonnets over the border from john johnson we'll hear two tunes the knife grinder and eye for shame and then we will complete the episode with a bunch of nine eights from donald mcdonald the faraway wedding the grinder i have a wife of my ain bros and butter and an irish jig all right so if you listened to last week's episode, or I guess the week before last week's episode, you remember that I was up in Grand Portage on Lake Superior and like and just didn't have a good sense of kind of a space and time to play tunes uh, or record the audio section where I'm just talking part of the podcast. Anyway, it's interesting uh, being back in Grand Portage. Uh, I talk about it. I don't know how often I talk about it, but for years, like that was my start into you know, historical bagpiping really was doing bagpipe demonstrations up in Grand Portage, which was the headquarters for this fur trading company that was owned by a lot of Scots, uh, Highland Scots. And like, it was, uh, I always, I've joked that this podcast is, you know, it's grown into the podcast I wish existed when I worked there. And it was, especially after my much deeper look into these tunes and, you know, 18th century and early 19th century styles of playing, uh, I, I was excited to be back and you know, I was going to get to use this stuff. And I have to tell you, it was sort of disappointing. Um, I've become really addicted to the level of exploration that the podcast allows. And when I'm playing in public for non-pipers, like that sort of goes away. Like you sort of do wind up just playing the same three tunes over and over and over again. Um, they're still good tunes and, you know, relevant and good to hear. Uh, but yeah, I've really enjoyed um, being able to go down some relative like rabbit holes of 18th and early 19th century piping um, and not have to tie everything back to 1797 Grand Portage. Tying everything back to 1797 Grand Portage is kind of a fun challenge and, you know, has some scope to it, but it's really hard to convince uh, just your average Joe visitor to listen to me pontificate for like an hour and a half on bagpiping, uh, whereas y'all just keep showing up uh, and I get to pontificate on bagpiping for like an hour every week, so uh, thank you for that. Uh, anyway, so I, I recorded some tunes. I've been posting videos of me kind of wearing various historical outfits for Grand Portage National Monument and piping. And the last one I posted, uh, I think, I guess not, but I, I posted one a couple days ago. That was me playing Lament of a Druid into the march from Oscar and Malvina, uh, which, you know, the, Oscar, the march from Oscar and Malvina is in O'Farrell. And these are just like the tunes. I wanted to record these tunes for the podcast. That was the original idea of like, oh, I wound up playing these same handful of tunes over and over again. I should record them 
with better microphones so i have them um and just because i need to get back in the swing of doing the podcast anyway so posted it and dave rollins and mike mcnich both kind of commented on the various versions of that tune that either predate or come from oscar and malvina um so yeah that's what we that's sort of how this started so dave rollins pointed out that the march from oscar malvina was a pre-existing scots march leslie's march uh and that it shows up in allen's tea table miscellanies from 1734 uh mike mcnich pointed out that there is versions uh and willie ross's um you know various books never did find the willie ross version that mike mcnich talks about uh, the scots fusiliers march um but we do i did find a version of the tune um in ross's book except there it is called all the blue bonnets over the border so it's really interesting this tune um you know the highland march from oscar and Lavina, uh found settings for it in ireland found settings for it in um and in, and in scotland of course so yeah and i guess london technically if that's where o'farrell is playing it so I, I guess let's start with the oldest version that i found um so yeah, the it is it does show up in the tea table miscellany from the 1730s, but uh, that setting I couldn't find that old of a setting with music attached to it. Like it was just the words. Where I did find though, uh, kind of the oldest setting with the words are the same from 1734, and the kind of notes for it is from the uh, Scottish Songs in Two Volumes collection, which I, I really hope to spend some more time with uh, in the future. It's printed by John Johnson, uh, or printed for John Johnson, but it also has uh, James Wrightson's little write-ups in the first volume anyway. Uh, and Or not, it's Joseph Wrightson, I'm not sure what I just said his name was, but... Um, I, I kind of hope to do a Joseph Wrightson episode and eventually because Wrightson is a super interesting fellow and there's just great artwork depicting him. Uh, he, he suffered from the gout a lot. So he's got this, he, he was like a big advocate for vegetarian diets in the 18th century, again, because he had the gout probably. But uh, there's this great woodcut of him where, you know, he's it just is sort of sitting and there's a cow sticking his head in his window, uh, eating, eating some of his vegetables. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about Joseph Wrights in, in a future episode. Uh, but this is the earliest version I could find that had, you know, the lyrics and the music of how it was supposed to be sung. It is pretty darn close to Highland March from Oscar Malbina, um, and some of the other versions of Leslie's March that we'll be playing on the podcast this week. So I'll just sing it first because you know, 1734 is the oldest one, so we'll do it then. The tune uh, on on Wrightson's version of it, or Johnson's version of it, um, it's attributed to like being written in the 1640s, um, and it's it's an interesting tune. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I get really frustrated with people that are um, super into seeing the Jacobite rebellions as a Scottish thing, like as a uniquely Scottish thing, and that somehow all Scots wanted the Stuarts back is like there's this complete delusion or at least ignorance of like the Covenanters and that, you know, in a lot of ways, the English Civil War, you know, that's how it's remembered, but it sort of started in Scotland with people trying to get rid of the Stuarts in Scotland first. Uh, and so that's what this song is about. So this is about General Leslie's march to Longmiston Moor, is what Wrightson says. Um, so yeah, Alexander Leslie, according to uh, rights in here, Alexander Leslie uh, invaded England at the head of a Scottish rebel army in 1640. Um, and uh, he defeated a party of the king's troops and took possession of Newcastle. He afterward commanded the army sent by the Covenanters to the assistance of the Parliament and contributed greatly to the defeat of the Royalists at Marston, which is what this tune is about, Wrightson believed. Um, and you'll see, like, this is a tune in favor, like, it's being called forth uh, by Parliament to, to act, and it's very much about uh, getting rid of Popish influence and kind of getting into that good old-fashioned, I guess, newfangled Calvinism, I suppose, uh, is really what it is. But it's an interesting tune, and uh, yeah, so I'll sing it. It's sort of a weird song. I am trying to avoid singing in like a faux accent, but like when songs are written in Scots, it's hard not to. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm poorly influenced. I, I'm, I'm poorly channeling Ewan McCall and my singing of this song, but I think it's a good way to kind of start us off uh, and experience the tune. So here is uh, General Leslie's March to Longmiston Moor from 
Wrightson and Johnson's account, 1794. March, march, while the delve ye not march. Stand to your lums, my lads, fight in good order. March, march, while the delve ye name march. Stand to your arms, my lads, fight in good order. Front about, front about, your musketeers all. Tell ye come to the English border, stand till and fight, let men true gospel to maintain the Parliament's blithe to see us coming. When to the kirk we come, we'll purge it, Elkerum, three popish relics, and sick innovation, that all the world may see there's none in the right, but we of the old Scottish nation, Jenny shall wear the hood, jockey the sarg of good, and the guest for the whistles that make such a clear, o a piper's brush, I'll hear them out there, come on it, busk up your plaids, me lads, cock up your bonnets, march. March while the Delian I march, stand to your arms, my lads, fight in good order. March, march while the Delian not march, stand to your arms, my lads, fight in good order. I I do hope that people are familiar with this, or like if you're not, go go look. Um, my understanding of the Covenanters is all kind of very surface level and embarrassingly like too influenced by those neil oliver documentaries uh who seems to to not be the coolest person on the planet um but yeah so so go check it out it's it's interesting history anyway and like i said beforehand it's clear to me um that you know the scots resisting changes to the kirk and making this covenant kind of directly lead and contribute to getting rid of the Stuarts in the first place. And um, that's sort of an important detail when people are overly conflating Jacobitism as being like inherently Scottish um, and that, you know, Scots always wanted Stuart kings. Uh, I think Stirling Castle does a really good job of pointing out just how little the Stuarts wanted to be there, I guess. <laughs> At least my my tour guides there were pretty stellar, and we kind of had a, a nice long chat about the Covenanters anyway, um, where the tour guide we had years ago was, uh, he wanted to join the Scots Grays, and his mom or granny like yelled at him for it, because they were a Covenanter family, and the Scots Grays sort of got their start by trying to infiltrate and kind of attack and murder covenanters which is why they dressed in kind of muted colors to look like a covenanter um i think i'm remembering that correctly anyway it's a pretty brutal period in you know british history uh kind of the 17th century but general leslie uh, leslie kind of winds up leading the covenanter army during the kind of war of the three kingdoms uh which is a hard thing to google because you just wind up getting chinese ones um but you do see some of the interesting i think there are some discussions here that that are worth pointing out so you know here the parliament is blithe to see us coming so they're going south to england to support like something that parliament's doing right they're trying to get rid of the Stuarts. so um so parliament is happy for them to be going down uh when to the kirk we come we'll purge it ilka room for popish relics and sick innovation it's like this is the big thing that the covenanters are worried about is big changes to the kirk um the book of common prayer changed and there was this concern that there was going to be more catholic influence this is all really interesting and complicated and nuanced history that's sort of out of my frame of reference um but yeah i would encourage people to, to look into this more it's always a really interesting period to me um yeah jenny shall wear the hood jockey the starker god or the sarker god so the sarker god just looking up in scott's uh languages seems to be like a penitent shirt um you know sark is, is shirt the hood i'm not 100 percent sure on i talked to a couple kind of scottish clothing history folks and um I don't know. I'm not sure if hood is, is actually a modesty thing that they wanted women to be wearing. If that's what they're saying, women shall wear the, or Jenny shall wear the hood and jockey the Sarka God. Um, I'm not sure. The thing I really like though, is the next line and the kissed full of whistles that makes such a clearu. Um, yeah. And then goes on to say the Vipers bra shall have them all, whatever come on it. So I think a kissed full of whistles that sounds bad or a box full of whistles that sounds bad. Uh, I think that's an organ. I think they're complaining about organs in the Kirk, but I, I could be wrong about that. Uh, I'm going to believe that that's what it is though. Cause I love the idea that they're complaining about organs and then talking about how great pipers are right after that. 
Um, anyway, so here's that's the tune. So that's clearly the melody. That's the lyrics that date back to the 1730s, if not the 1640s. Um, I couldn't find a version of the lyrics that go back to the 1640s, although honestly, I didn't look particularly hard. Um, but you can look at the lyrics and the music for yourself. I'll have links to all this stuff in the show notes as per usual. All right, let's move on to uh, the 1740. This is from Wright's collection of country dances. Uh, and in this version, it's called Lashley's March. Um, and it is quite a bit, it's a little bit different and kind of unique to some of the other settings. So here is Wright's setting for Lashley's March. So I'm not going to go strictly chronological with this. So we're going to jump ahead to 1782 uh, James Aird setting for Leslie's March, it's called. I'm going to Aird because he's sort of the simplest version of this, like without a lot of run of 16th notes or dotting and cutting. So it feels like a good kind of baseline to get. There's a setting from Oswald as well, but Oswald and O'Farrell settings are both um, pretty pretty complicated and nearly identical uh and so i just want to do aired's first because i think it shows yeah i think it's a better basic version so here is james aired setting for leslie's march So we'll jump back in time to 1760 and do James Oswald's setting, which is, like I said, quite a bit more busy. And I think um, I think it's the motivation for the setting that winds up playing, being played at Oscar Malvina. So this is Lastly's March, as what uh, Oswald calls it. started realizing like once I strapped on Illen pipes I had a hard time 
sticking close to how it was written and not just playing it as I play it. So anyway, we'll finish off here uh, with sort of the inland pipe settings for this sort of kind of, and I'll do the Highland March from Oscar Melvina from O'Farrell. So the reason I play this tune at Grand Portage so much uh, is, you know, because it's from Oscar and Melvina and like Oscar Melvina was a pantomime uh, based on the Ossian poems. And it was, you know, we talked a little bit about this during the Patrick McDonald discussion, but it was just absolutely the most fashionable thing in the world, uh, especially if you were Scots to talk about Ossian poems and do this kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, the Northwest Company fur traders, their offices in London were on Suffolk Lane, which is just like a mile or two from Covent Garden Theatre, where Oscar Malvino was played. Um, and so I spent a lot of time talking about George Mackay, who's the Highland Piper for the Northwest Company in the 1790s. But really, you know, I don't know much about George Mackay. I think I have his bagpipes, but I don't really know what kind of music he played. Um, so I, I just have to make educated guesses. But like O'Farrell published the score for Ellen Pipes uh, from Oscar and Malvina. So like it may have been Courtney that was playing for the partners at first, you know, but I, I, their time in London, these fur traders, it kind of extends to O'Farrell's time. So I just have no doubt that these fur traders that were desperately trying to kind of connect to this popular Scottish stuff happening and reconnect with their Scottish roots in the most like going to go watch Braveheart a dozen times way. Like there's no way they weren't going to see Oscar and Malvina. Um, and so that's why I always try to play some aspect of Oscar and Malvina when I'm up at Grand Portage is just to talk about like, here's a song or a tune that I am a hundred percent sure that our partners listened to when they were over in London. Um, and really like, even if they didn't go to see it at Covent Garden theater, which again, I'm, I assume I would assume they did, like it would be sort of absurd for them not to have gone to see it, but even if they didn't do that, uh, all of O'Farrell's like tours stuff that you see ads for newspapers, it mentions that he's going to play the tunes from Oscar and Malvina. So they were like real big pop music of the day too. So uh, yeah, it's a, one of the few tunes that I can feel very confident that uh, the partners listen to. So anyway, here is O'Farrell's setting. And really this is just how I play it. Just me kind of goofing around a little bit, trying to play close to O'Farrell and then doing some of the, the stuff that I do with it uh, in terms of messing around a bit. So this is from 1806. So as much as O'Farrell is an Irish piper, um, this tune also is kind of recorded in Ireland. So Edward Bunting has a setting of it, and so does uh, Canon Goodman. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think I'm going to do Bunting's first. Bunting's title is Dirty James, is what it's called. Uh, but Traditional Tune Archive kind of points out that the actual Irish for it translates as Shitty James Who Lost Ireland. So... 
Um, yeah, clearly some sort of a commentary on the Stuarts, I, I kind of assume, again, and tied to uh, that that period in, in history. So anyway, here's Edward Bunting's setting, and I think Goodman's setting is, is basically the same, but we'll start with um, Bunting's, because this comes in Edward Bunting's 1840 book. hear how similar Goodman's setting is. It's unnamed in Goodman's setting. Um, Goodman had a title and then scratched it out. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is Dirty James. It's basically identical. So here it is on Sea Whistle. probably should have mentioned earlier of course the chieftains also recorded this tune so uh you may well have heard it on their um on their album uh geez which album was it it was boil the breakfast early maybe um but there they call it uh highland march from oscar and melvina uh, anyway so moving away from the more obvious connections here we're going to start playing the scottish one so we'll start with uh john glenn's we're, we're going to jump ahead to 1880 because his setting for leslie's march is the closest to kind of the the older stuff so we'll we'll do that one first and then we'll go back to 1869 to look at william ross's setting which uh is a little bit more innovative and has a different title but anyway here is glenn's setting for leslie's march from 1880 
I didn't flawlessly execute that, but there's a neat thing that happens with Glenn's setting where there's lots of doublings and things in the first part, and then the B part, there's a lot of G strikes. Like, there's sort of no low G or low A strikes or grace notes uh, in the first part, and then the second part is really dominated by them, uh, which is kind of cool and worth trying to execute. Really should have slowed me down. Um, but I wound up just doing a bunch of C grace notes rather than G strikes, if that makes any sense. Anyway, look at the music. Uh, I found if I played it really slowly, it was kind of doing a cool thing on its own. So... <laughs> like, really dramatically uh, leaning into those, you can kind of make a different sound altogether as opposed to what I wound up doing, which is the... which is sloppy stuff. Don't do what Tutwag does. Um, but yeah, cool tune. Look it up. It's neat stuff. Uh, okay, so switching over, we've, we're going to switch titles now. So uh, this is All the Blue Bonnets Over the Border from Willie Ross. This is from 1869. I can really still hear some similarities here uh, and to, to the point where I would say it's the same tune. Uh, it's certainly, it's concordant with it uh, at any rate. So here is... Uh, 1869, Willie Ross's setting for Look at All the Blue Bonnets Over the Border. Okay, so hear me out. Really like that setting, but some of the things about it really remind me of another tune that I played a lot this week at Grand Portage, um, and also posted a video of, um, but it really reminds me of Lads with the Kilts, um, which, you know, shows up uh, in the 1770s. It's in um, Dow's collection we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, but yeah, it sounds really, really darn similar to me. So I'll just I'll just include a clip here quick of me playing it on border pipes and see if you hear it as well. It's just that first couple of notes that, uh, anyway, okay, so just to add confusion to the mix, this is the tune All the Blue Bonnets Over the Border from Logan. So I don't think this is the same tune. I think this is different, but uh, now my brain is sort of making a connection between the two, so I'm not sure if this is, I think this is a different tune. Uh, I, I can sort of hear it as maybe just a different interpretation of uh, the tune we heard to a little bit back there. But anyway, here's All the Blue Bonnets Over the Border from Logan. Thank you. 
And again, that was All the Blue Bonnets Over the Border from Logan in 1899. Something that I meant to start doing uh, after listening back to small episodes was saying the titles at the end as well as in the beginning, sort of like a good radio host. Uh, and I forgot to until right now, uh, which is convenient since I forgot the date that that was published. So anyway, different tune. Really awesome tune, though. Definitely one of those that I've heard a million times other people playing, uh, but cool to see it. All right. So that is it. That's that's our Highland March from Oscar and Malvina slash Leslie's March slash Covenanter tune discussion. That's the conclusion of that. Um, looking around, I, I came across a bunch of other um, collections and things this week. Um, so I think we'll we'll kind of hear some of them in the future. Maybe just a quick uh, a quick teaser uh this is from johnson's 24 country dances for the year 1766 i was looking in there for another setting johnson published another um collection of tunes that has ashley's or leslie's um leslie's march in it but i couldn't find it online so i wound up downloading this one and uh yeah there's just some cool tunes in there uh so let's start with the knife grinder uh which again rad tune couldn't find any concordances with it off the bat um but yeah fun little tune here is the knife grinder from johnson's 24 country dances for the year 1766 That was the knife grinder again from Johnson's 24 country dances for the year 1766. The tune that really caught my eye uh, from this collection is called eye for shame. Again, I couldn't find any concordances with it. It's not even uploaded on traditional tune archive and it's super cool. I am sort of hesitant to even put it on here because I want to do more with it. Um, but you know that's what the bonus episodes are for so i feel like i can share it with y'all and hope that maybe some ellen pipers that are listening will do some cool stuff with this it's cool tune um definitely is begging for some regulator work or something of that sort so anyway here it is the eye for shame
Once again, that's Eye for Shame from Johnson's 24 Country Dances for the year 1766. And it's so stinking cool. Uh, the full title of that collection is... Uh, basically all of that, what I just said, but with proper tunes and directions to each dance as they are performed at court, bath, turn bridge, and all public assemblies. Um, yeah, so that's the cool thing about this, the ad on the cover, so it's printed for John Johnson in Cheapside, London, and then the list of lately published things, it has, like, I don't quite know, directions to learn the violin, flute, German flute, harpsichord, French horn, hautboy, fife, guitar, bagpipe, flaglet, and singing each book one shilling sixpence like what is that book like i i thought i assumed that maybe johnson was the printer for gaffigan's uh complete tutor for the pastoral new bagpipes but he wasn't um that's printed and sold for uh and sold by john simpson uh maybe johnson wound up with the plates and the rights and was printing it in 1760 but like is there another tutorial on how to play bagpipes out there that i don't know about does anybody know what Johnson's, uh, what John Johnson's directions to learn the bagpipe look like? Uh, and a guitar tutorial too. Holy buckets, man. Like there's a, I gotta, I gotta talk to some people and figure out what this is. Uh, probably this is not a big deal and I just don't realize something, but I think this might be a, it's certainly a new bagpipe tutor book to me. Uh, if it's being printed in 1766 in London, what is it? Oh boy. Okay. Uh, I'm going to calm down and send an email to Ross Anderson (laughs) and maybe, uh, some other folks too. Uh, anyway, let us, uh, let's go out quick on, um, another set of Highland pipe tunes. So something, you know, oh, I'm so distracted. Uh, so I, the whole time I worked at Grand Portage, I just didn't have a ton of resources. I didn't realize how many resources there were for playing 18th century tunes. And so I just used Donald McDonald's collections quite a bit. Um, the 1828 one, that, that's the collection of Peabrook with all the dance tunes in the beginning. And then the 1838 one, which is more light music. Sort of by happenstance, just by doing this podcast, it turns out many of the sets that I made from those Donald McDonald tunes are tunes that go much further back. Um, and the one that I found myself playing the most this these last couple of weeks was the Grand Portage uh, Nine Night set, I guess is what I call it. I think I played this on the podcast uh, last year sometime. But these are a series of tunes, which is all nine eights. It's the Faraway Wedding, The Grinder, I Have a Wife in My Ain, Bros and Butter, and an Irish jig. Um, and so many of those, I have away from my ain, certainly far away wedding, bros and butter, like all those tunes are in older collections that I think I've discussed on the podcast. So, um, yeah, just kind of neat. Decided to record them again here to include. And, uh, can you tell that I'm a little excited and just want to wrap this up so I can send some emails and see what I'm forgetting? Uh, this is such a cliffhanger ending. Uh, this is almost like, like I'm, I don't know if this is good or bad podcasting to be like, in two weeks, you'll get the answer. Um, anyway, so we'll finish up with this this bunch of 9-8 uh, sets, or 9-8 tunes, rather, as one set. And yeah, um, yeah. if you want to support the podcast or kind of stick around and, and get news updates, I'll certainly post there about <laughs> the answer to the tutorial. Uh, I might wind up posting that just to the Facebook feed anyway. Um, but yeah, you can... Support us, support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash waytotwog. We're up to 10 Patreon subscribers, so that's awesome. Thank you all. Uh, next week, I'm not sure if we'll, if we have an episode next week, it's going to be an interview not recorded by me, but just basically a place to, to post it. Uh, otherwise we'll probably go back to, uh, kind of stick around on the every other week for a while. I need the time to write my dissertation. Also, I am thinking about... Well, I want to finalize that Lytton album that I still think would be a worthwhile thing to listen to. And I'm debating putting out a border pipe album really quick as like a fundraiser to help me buy a border pipe. Um, I don't know if I've talked about this on the main feed, but, you know, I'm, I've been borrowing these, these border pipes, um, which has been awesome, but it is, it has come time to give them up. And I've got an order in for a set of border pipes that can kind of reach up to the second octave uh, fairly easily from John Swain. And I'm having a 
uh, internal debate about whether to buy the more European style chanter from Swain as well. So if you're familiar with John Swain's work, um, you already have heard this a dozen times, but if you're not, John Swain sells border pipes, um, but everybody else would refer to his border pipes as like English pipes or continental pipes or French bagpipes. And then he sells lowland pipes, which is what everybody else calls border pipes. Um, but more the Highland fingering style. And I kind of want both his, um, his border pipe chanter sounds a little bit different um, and sounds more continental, which is a sound I kind of like, but it's also, it has several more notes that are easier to reach his lowland pipe chanter. You can reach up to, you know, high C pretty, pretty reliably, depending on the reed setup, he said. Um, so it's already going to be better than the Banton pipes that I have now in terms of range. Um, but yeah, still, it's going to cost more money if I get both chanters. So I'm thinking of kind of doing a quick fundraiser border pipe album before I lose these border pipes. Um, so yeah, if you think that's the greatest idea I've ever had, send me a message. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's what's in my brain and why I'm thinking every other week uh, is going to be necessary for a while here so I can write and also put out these albums that I want to do. So anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, sorry for this rambling. I was not expecting to be so excited about a possible bagpipe tutorial right at the end here. So uh, something to look forward to. Anyway, so going out here, these are the set of tunes, set of dance tunes that I played most often there at Grand Portage these last couple of weeks. You know, we know the Northwest Company had pipers that worked for them. Northwest Company are fur traders, like I said, mostly owned by Highland Scots. We don't know how the piper was used necessarily, except that he played for dances. Um, they mentioned that, you know, they'd clear out the tables in the dining room and have dances with all the local Anishinaabe women coming in and knowing all the dance steps. So I always kind of favor playing playing some dance tunes. So here is a bunch of slip jig kind of dance tunes, Faraway Wedding, The Grinder, I Have a Wife of My Ain, Bros and Butter, and an Irish jig. And we will talk to you all in the future. Cheers. <laughs>